Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am greatly honored to be presenting our monthly Living Theurgy episode. Today, our Theurgy Forum and Age of Heroes merge, and we'll be exploring theurgic activism. Uh, But first, we'll be introducing our panelists for tonight and uh, seeing what has been going on in their theurgic universes. Uh, Greetings and welcome. Who is here with me right now? I'm here, Hercules. This is uh, John Opsopheus. Apollonia. So great to hear from you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Awesome. Let me see who else is here. Greetings and welcome. Who do I have on the other line? Other line? Jean-Louis, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, Jean-Louis, how are you? Very good, thank you. I'm thank glad you to hear that. for your invitation tonight. I am greatly honored to have you here, and so much has been going on in your universe that uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about all uh, your exciting adventures. Tony Merzwicki will be joining us uh, at some point, and uh, Brandy Williams, unfortunately, was unable to join us tonight. Um, However, she sent a suggestion um, of uh, something that we could talk about in our theurgic activism section, so we will be doing uh, that um, a little later on. And I believe Tony has joined us. Greetings and welcome, Tony. How are you? Tony, how are you? It's wonderful to be here. Uh, The same here. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, We're going to start off tonight's show by doing a theurgic update. And um, I know Jean-Louis has uh, a lot to share with us. Uh, So first, let's uh, um, find out from Apollonius what is going on. Then we'll uh, find out from Tony, and then we can focus on uh, Jean-Louis. So Apollonius, how is everything going? It's, it's going well. Uh, I don't have a lot to report. I've um, been pretty busy with my day job, but I'm, I'm working on some uh, translations from uh, 
ancient and medieval Greek uh, as part of my um, some of my projects, uh, you know, something that will eventually develop into a book perhaps, but also awesome. I have a um, presentation coming up in a month at, at um, PantheaCon, and so I'm uh, working on getting that presentation ready. So I always look forward to that. Uh, we uh, The presentations uh, are 90 minutes long, so it really gives us time to uh, spend some time on a topic and develop it and, and work with whoever uh, is there in our in our audience. So it's uh, um, I like to put some some effort into uh, developing a good a good workshop. Will these be recorded? Um, no, they're typically uh, not recorded. Um, so um, I. I, I Will probably. I'm, I'm planning on having some uh, slides for it, and I will put them out on my website. But uh, you know, typically we don't record the uh, the presentations. That that's a shame. That that uh, um, it would be uh, um, the experience would be lost uh, beyond uh, what's preserved through your presentation and in the memories of those uh, who attend. Hopefully, it will become a book. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, it's an interesting idea. We might actually, uh, perhaps not in connection with PantheaCon, but, but just uh, on our own think about uh, producing some uh, some videos, uh, versions of these presentations. Um, I have something to share about that, but I'll do it a little later on in the, the program. Uh, Tony, you will also be in PantheaCon. Is this not correct? Um, yes. Uh, unfortunately, I'm only going to be involved in the panel. Um, I wasn't given the opportunity of presenting a solo workshop, but them's the breaks. But regarding recording the presentation, um, even though most presentations aren't recorded, I do remember seeing one or two presentations where the presenters set up tripods and cell phones. So they record yeah. themselves. The thing is, Panticon's very strict on not recording anyone who's in attendance. But you can certainly right. film yourself. So you'd have to have them to sign. You'd have to have them sign non-disclosure agreements. Yeah, I mean, not non-disclosure. Yeah, uh, if you have permission to film you. Yeah, but this way, if you just set up the tripod, um, like just in front of yourself, then you'd be able to film yourself, and no one else would be in the film. So you wouldn't need to, to um, go around asking for non-disclosures, you know. Um, that Very that way there'd be a permanent record. Because, I mean, this is going to be the last Pantheon, so presumably there will be something, but I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. Um, the only thing that I've done that's of note recently was um, last Sunday, which is the 12th of January, I got together with a small group of Hellenic Reconstructionists and they were doing a libation to the goddess Hera. So apart awesome. from Hera, we, we honored a, a number of, a number of related gods. So there was Zeus and Ares and Hephaestus and Athena and Aphrodite. I may have missed one or two, but um, I, I did an invocation to Aphrodite and, the group was quite happy for me to include um, a plea for rainfall in Australia. So, um, you know, I wanted to direct the energy somewhere. So we were um, petitioning for rain. 
Now, it is raining in Australia at the moment, but you know, Good. there are thousands and thousands of people around the world praying for rain. So, I mean, I'm not taking any credit for this, but I think everyone's prayer has made a little bit of difference. Yes, it made a I difference in California up. where the rains came and now in Australia. So thank you. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we also had the, um, the, the, the fires in, in the Amazon and in Siberia. Um, there's rains everywhere. It's all, it's all connected with man-made climate change. It's, it's really scary stuff. Yes, it is. And later on in the program, we'll be focusing uh, exclusively on that. Um, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Apollonius. And uh, now, Jean-Louis, um, I see on uh, Facebook and my emails all the things that uh, you've started. Uh, and I know you can only be here for the first hour. I don't think the hour is enough to contain uh, all the information you have to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can share a few things about what I am doing okay. right now. First of, first of all, this is this is very good to be there tonight to speak with you. Even if I can stay only one hour, this is uh, very enjoyable to hear you and to participate to this forum. So yes, what about me? Uh, you know, I, I thought a lot about activism and right now I am doing a lot of that just because I am uh, very involved in current politics in the US. Uh, so every everyone who knows my Facebook page or Facebook uh -huh. profile and know what I am posting and doing, and uh, I think that this participation, this involvement for the fight for moral standards, for truthfulness, is really essential to not today. And uh, from people like us, you know that I am in charge of your own stories of the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross, mm -hmm. and to manifest that there is something in the world that is important, essential, in any spiritual level, but on a physical level, like uh, fight for moral standards, for example, fight for clarity, for uh, to defend the people who cannot do that. I think this is essential. So this is what I am doing uh, a lot because you know that in the U.S. we have a special year <laughs> this year. So this is uh, a, a, an important part I am doing right now. But beside that, and after that you can ask questions if you want, of course, uh, to go deeper. But uh, oh, sure. beside that, uh, Be before beside that, I am working okay. uh, with my wife Patricia on a new book for winning publications, and this is a book about. Subtle, subtle bodies, uh, so uh, chakras uh, and uh, projection, uh, everything you want to learn about it, but most, most uh, of the part of the book is to learn how to see, how to interpret, and so on. So you have a big part about theory and a very huge part about practice, step by step. So there is a lot of research going on, very interesting and unique experiences to share and uh, ancient documents from East and West. Because the point is to um, connect these two traditions when they can be uh, connected. So this is about the next book. 
that That's will be released uh, at the end of the year, I hope, because this is well advanced. Yes. That sounds very uh, exciting. So maybe something I'm... practical yes. for uh, people to learn how to uh, work with uh, energy in a new way. People are very focused on energy these days with uh, uh, Reiki becoming more and more common. So something like that would be uh, awesome. Yes, and uh, when I am... Uh, when I see uh, Reiki almost everywhere, and when I know that we, what we are doing in initiatory orders like homeopathy and so on, Reiki like homeopathy, something very light, so we can go deeper, and I will do that in the book. Uh, everyone knows that that uh, Reiki is interesting and very popular because this is easy and light, if I can say that. But besides that. Um, when I started in the 80s to work on uh, spiritual level, occultism, and so on, I learned at this time uh, psychosomatic relaxation, yoga, and so on. And following my wife in the past year, I came back to that. So I became a yoga teacher, certified awesome. yoga audience. Uh, so I teach vinyasa, and I came back also to teach again, and I will, uh, we will, with my wife, publish a lot of recordings and live, um, live uh, events on YouTube, on yoga nidra, breathing, relaxation, visualization, and so on. So, beside the activity as the artist. I am linking these activities to uh, this yoga uh, focus, if you, if you want. So this is something very, very interesting because you know that in theology we have a lot of techniques in our, in our practices like breathing, like visualization and so on. And for a very uh -huh. long time, this is something very well known in uh, yoga and in the yogic tradition. So to connect both things like that and to teach in workshops uh, and online soon, this is a very exciting opportunity. It sounds uh, very exciting, and I'm going to give our fellow theorists a chance to react to what you've shared so far. Apollonius. Well, it certainly is very exciting, and um, I think you know one of the things that, that is uh, important about theurgy um, and uh, really about much of the Neoplatonic tradition as well, is that it is a very embodied tradition. I mean, really, the essence of theurgy is using material reality uh, to connect us with the divine. And so um, that in includes everything we do with our, with our physical body, uh, including breathing. And um, uh, an essential part of theurgy is the uh, purification and elevation of the subtle body as well. And so, um, you know, we're really all integrated at all of these levels. And so I think it's very important to, to work at, uh, at all of them. And I'm, I'm be very, I'll be very excited to see what Jean-Louis has produced um, on, on this because, um, you know, I think I know that what I've uh, had to do, in uh, developing a theurgical practice, because we we have some literature from the ancient times, but um, we there's a lot that's missing. And so I've looked at um, yoga and qigong and uh, other spiritual traditions as well to try and fill in some of the gaps. Uh, shamanic traditions too, as well, um, uh, fill in some of especially some of the more practical 
gaps that we have uh, in our practices. And um, I think they're absolutely essential. You know, we are unified beings and uh, we need to, to work on all aspects of ourselves uh, simultaneously. Thank you. Wisely said, Apollonius. Harney? Um, I'm also excited by the work that Jean-Louis is, is doing, and I'll be following it with great interest. Um, really looking forward to see how it develops. Um, I totally agree with um, everything that Apollonius was saying. Um, we have to think in terms of ourselves as being connected to literally everything else in the universe. Um, other humans, other life force, the environment, and everything else. So that's actually going to naturally lead on to the second half of the show when we're going to talk about the, the need for environmental activism. Um, I also agree with, with, um, with Apollonius that there is a hell of a lot of material that's missing. And this is one of the problems that we face with practicing theurgy. It's not a continuously living tradition. It's something that was allowed to die, and we are bringing it back. Um, with, the, with the work that Bruce and I are doing, our, our work's fairly recent. The, the work that Jean-Louis was doing um, with, the, um, with Aurum Solis goes, goes back quite a few decades. So um, they're probably ahead of the curve on, on, on many aspects of theurgy. But um, I believe it is important for us to, um, to, to be aware of the interconnectedness between ourselves and everything else. Um, and also, I... Like Bruce, I tend to look at related traditions as well for ideas. He tends to go for a lot of Eastern modalities, whereas in my case, I tend to stick with the West. So I'll look at parallels between um, uh, between what the myth, what we know of the Mithraeus practicing, um, what we know of the the Gnostics is practicing. Um, I've also looked at um, Jewish. Uh, late apocalyptic literature where they detail rather than rising through the planetary spheres they talk in terms of rising through the heavens so it's a matter of trying to resurrect a tradition that that, that was allowed to die and i think that these are very these are very exciting times and the results are going to speak speak for themselves as time goes on I'm very excited as well, and um, I don't know if the tradition totally died. Uh, yes, it's being resurrected, and I think it's a good thing that we're uh, looking to fill in the gaps in our knowledge in other places, because theurgy developed in a very cosmopolitan setting, and that the circle of culture has grown forever wider uh, to embody uh, the planet now. So I think that the fact that there are holes that we need to fill in is a good thing, um, but uh, you're all to be commended for the great service you've done uh, for theurgy and uh, to theurgy. Um, Jean-Louis, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just, just going to say reg regarding the continuity of theurgy and ceremonial magic, that, that's a subject of, of much contention because you've got um, Professor Hutton saying that all pagan traditions basically died out. So what we have is a heavily Christianized, recreation of what the ancients were doing but there's no continuity at all um there are indications that there were continuities in ceremonial magic um you know the, the brotherhood of basra pr um pr preserved things and you have um a continuity of, of hermeticism so you could argue that there has been continuity but again 
it, it's something that is a subject of, 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 not, of no small amount of debate in academic circles. Sorry to jump in. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, and I would love to devote a show just uh, to that, uh, because I, I would argue that point. Uh, um, being Greek and growing up in, uh, um, you know, from a rural Greek setting, uh, things did not survive in the form that uh, we're now uh, um, reissuing them or reconnecting them. But a lot of things uh, survived, you know, very thinly disguised uh, under Christian veneer. So, uh, anyway, we, that is a great uh, show concept, and uh, I, I would like us to address that next. Thank you, Tony. Mm-hmm. Jean-Louis, you're also teaching uh, courses uh, um, in, on a lot of interesting uh, topics. Uh, would you care to share a little bit about those as well? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, uh, we talked about uh, the Orm Solis, which is a uh, lineage very focused on Egyptian tradition, as you may know, and uh, Hermeticism, and of course theology. But beside that, uh, in the, the last century now, I received the tradition, Western tradition, the, of the Kabbalistic Order of the Rose Cross, more focused on, more focused on uh, um, a kind of esoteric Christianity, Christian Kabbalah and ancient pre-Christian Gnosticism. So mm. yes, I started uh, teaching online a class uh, right now. I am started. Uh, the class started uh, one day ago, but uh, some uh, some people are still joining it on uh, on three months. And in this case, we are going deep in the tradition, Western uh, uh, Kabbalah, uh, meaning Christian Kabbalah, and the way the occultists of the 19th century uh, interpreted that in this uh, initiatory order called the Kabbalistic Order of Cross. And this is, yes, very interesting, fascinating, uh, because this lineage is very rare. I have the chance, I guess, uh, to be uh, French and to... I was born in the south of France, and this tradition was born uh, in the south of France, too. So I was connected with it uh, very young, and this is really a, a very, very interesting part of the Western tradition, even if this is not per se pagan, and in the spirit of uh, theology. This is more in the spirit of um, esoteric spirituality based on this uh, esoteric heritage of the 15th century, 1516, and reactivated in the 19th century in France. So this is what I am teaching right now beside uh, the visualization class and relaxation I was talking about. How can somebody uh, get involved in these uh, classes? Uh, just go online or on the rosecross.net or okrc.org my Facebook page and you will find the various links uh, I, I would like, beside that, I would like to uh, add something uh, to the conversation we had about theology. Uh, okay. Because you know that I am uh, very, very focused on that through the own stories. And something 
I guess for me that never died is the the essential part of purification. Uh, And this part uh, is really rooted on uh, the body, the diet, and the kind of Western meditation. And I guess that the tendency in theology uh, is not so much, or the the focus is not so much on diet and meditation, I mean inner purification. And this is something we are sure that theologists were practicing that. And most of the time we are speaking about rituals, practices, angels, and many things. And doing that, we forget to uh, really highlight the first essential step, which is for me, inner purification, moral and physical. And I guess we have a lot to say about theology that was born in the Mediterranean world about diet, about relaxation, and about uh, purification and the philosophical text and uh, the book about Hypatia is very well done on this point, uh, brings a lot. So I am talking more and more about body and soul as we just uh, talked about saying, okay, uh, the soul, the angels, and so on, but first, foundation. And foundation is this inner and physical purification. And I think this is a very important part to uh, highlight. I agree with you there, and I also agree that Apollonius did an awesome job uh, with that book. I played with that book for quite a while um, and incorporated uh, some elements into my own daily uh, practice. So I will let Apollonius uh, respond to what you said. Uh, Thank you um, um, for your comments. Uh, You know, I I, um, probably did not do as much as I should have done on the strictly physical aspects uh, of the practice there. But um, uh, I, I think it is important to, you know, as the saying goes, start where you are. And um, so we all have to eat. We all have to breathe. Um, we all have to sleep. And uh, I think that improving on those processes is an important uh, first step. And again, this is, you know, this is nothing new uh, in all of the various spiritual traditions. We know that uh, there are physical practices involved. Um, uh, uh, Pythagoras uh, uh, did incubation to uh, uh, have uh, uh, prophetic dreams, for example, oracular dreams. And um, there was a lot of uh, interest in dietary uh, prohibitions. Uh, in in uh, Pythagoreanism, you know the prohibition against beans is the one that that's uh, probably um, best known. But, uh, and and maybe not even true, but it does show that there was a, that there was that, that the Pythagoreans were expected to adhere to some uh, dietary uh, uh, practices as well. So I think, uh, you know, I think this, again, is where we can, um, you know, look at a lot of other traditions because we do all have the same physical bodies. So we can look at some other traditions as well and see what sorts of uh, physical practices uh, are better for our uh, spiritual development. Uh, 
Thank you very much, Apollonius. Tony? Um, I was just going to continue on with what Bruce was talking about. One of the things that really stands out um, regarding the Neoplatonists was how many of them were vegetarian. Um, so it seems to me that you really need to have a vegetarian diet in order to, to optimally profit from um, practicing theurgy. Um, there, there may be those who disagree with me there. And just to, just to go on, just to give a little aside, I was involved in a magical order back in Sydney. And <clears throat> I was already vegetarian by this stage. And the founder of the group said to me, why would you want to be vegetarian? It makes you too sensitive. So his point was that if you're living in the city, by having a plant-based diet, you're too sensitive to energies around you. He felt more comfortable eating meat, so, so any sort of energies coming in would be dulled. But I'm sort of thinking, well, if you're going to be engaged in a spiritual path, you really need to be as sensitive as possible so that you're receptive to energies around you. So uh, that was like one of the reasons that, um, that got me onto um, going on a plant-based diet back in 97. And the other thing that, that comes up, it's sort of fairly obvious, is that um, we have our bodies which we have to look after. So diet comes into it, but there's also exercise. The Greeks, um, out of, uh, from whose culture theurgy sprang, were very much into athleticism. They, they had their gymnasiums. They would um, exercise naked. They were into all sorts of sports. You know, there was running, there was wrestling, there was pankration, um, discus, and the like. Um, so there was a strong emphasis on, on being physically fit. And I think the Spartans um, summarized the importance of it when they talked about how important it was to have a sound mind and a healthy body. The two of them do seem to go um, hand in hand. So for me personally, I think in order to get the most out of theurgic practice, you do need to be doing some sort of exercise for your physical body. You do need to have a good diet, which for me is plant-based. But I suppose if you had to eat meat, then you should avoid anything that comes from factory farms, have, have something that's pasture-raised meat, um, you know, no antibiotics, no hormones, anything like that, wild-caught fish and the like. Um, try to eat as healthy as possible. Try to minimize the amount of processed foods that you have in your diet because I don't think you can function optimally as a theogist unless you have a healthy body. I'm just following on from, from the direction that Bruce took off in. Very good points, and let us see how our fellow theorists uh, feel about that. Um, Jean-Louis, um, are you a vegetarian, or do, do you encourage vegetarianism in the practice of, uh, of uh, theurgy? Uh, for more than 15 years, uh, between 80, no, 78-something, 80 I was strictly vegetarian. I didn't drink any drop of alcohol and so on. And um, it was okay at this time. Then I was initiated in the home service and I stopped. <laughs> okay. And I, and I came back 
on what I what is called a Mediterranean diet. That is mm-hmm. a very uh, clear pyramid in which the meat is really at the top, meaning less, very less. So today I eat maybe twice a month meat. But yes, I, am, I totally agree on the point that everything we eat should be organic. Because even if we are vegetarian today, for any reason, uh, philosophical or not, if what we eat is not organic, that, this is not a way to purify the body. Uh, so there is several, uh, several practice we can do. But besides that, what I, I, I want to add, that in the Rome Solis or the Kabbalistic Order or the Rose Cross or my own practice, there are several steps and period of the year where we recommend strictly vegetarianism. Strictly vegetarianism. So not all the year, but depending what we are practicing or preparing or parts of the year, in this case, yes, during a while, during a month or during a few weeks, no meat, and uh, we come back to a vegetarianism. But mainly Mediterranean diet, like a, a good balance to be rooted in the body with this in mind that we have to eat organic and to find the best balance. So what we have to uh, recommend, I'm always, and I did that when I was teaching philosophy in France, I was always saying, find your own balance. Be very aware of the impact of the, uh, what you eat or what you drink on your life. Try to be very, very uh, attentive, aware of that. And after that, you build your own uh, diet based on the Mediterranean one, and of course, integrating your own philosophy, in this case, theology. And I know that not all theologists were uh, vegetarians, depending who is practicing at what time, but mostly Pythagorean, Pythagorean, yes, were strictly vegetarian. And we have good books, Porphyrus, wrote a very good book about that. Uh, and uh, this is a book from the past and the Western tradition. So we have to come back to this book. <laughs> Thank you very much. That, that was very comprehensive. And I'm going to return to it after we hear from Apollonius. Uh, well, my position, I think, is, is actually pretty similar to Jean-Louis. Um, I've been vegetarian at times in the past, and I I kind of consider myself now a flexitarian, which some people mean uh, vegetarian, but not adamant about it. Um, so, um, but I, but I, I try and follow a Mediterranean diet um, because the, certainly just the medical evidence seems to be that it's a very healthy kind of diet. It is kind of in the spiritual tradition I follow as, as well. Um, I think, you know, to follow up on some of the things that, that uh, both Tony and uh, Jean-Louis said, um, you know, we really need to think about what I would call the spiritual character of our food. And um, not only is it bad for our physical health to eat factory farmed meat, um, but when the animals that have been slaughtered um, – uh, in such brutal ways in many cases. I mean, that, that 
does the spiritual miasma that uh, is attached, I think, to the food that that uh, goes into us as well. And, you know, we, we look back at our pagan ancestors when they ate meat. It was a uh, holy act to sacrifice the animal. And it was done in a spiritual context in which um, at least uh, there was the, an expectation that the animal was willingly sacrificing itself. And um, so in that sense, the, the, the meat that they ate in the ancient world was a sacrament. And the, the meat we're, we eat now in most cases, or certainly the factory farmed meat, is almost the opposite. It's, it's almost like it's, it's uh, 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 cursed, you could almost say, because it's got this, um, this, uh, just this, uh, this trauma that's associated with the, with the uh, way the animal was raised and then slaughtered. So um, I think, you know, just in term, aside from the purely medical or, or, or physical health aspect of, of eating organic meat and um, free-range meat and things like that or, or other types of, uh, of uh, uh, dairy or vegetables, um, we need to think about the, uh, the spiritual aspect of it as well. Aside from what we're doing to the environment, of course, with with uh, some of the uh, food we commonly eat. Thank you uh, very much. And uh, I unfortunately am a carnivore uh, for the most part. I do eat a lot of vegetables, more vegetables than most people I know eat, but I, I do eat a lot of uh, meat. Uh, I restrict uh, the types of meat I eat um, so that I avoid uh, junk meat and meats that are heavily processed, and meats that have uh, chemicals uh, in them. Um, but I eat a healthy amount of uh, meat. I found that for me, uh, after much experimentation, I optimally function uh, with what they call like a high-protein, high-fat, low-carb diet. And uh, I feel best when uh, that's what I'm fueling my uh, body with. Uh, but I've learned a lot from the vegetarians uh, amongst us, and uh, um, I'm looking for more plant-based uh, sources for, like, my protein shake. Uh, and now I almost use exclusively uh, plant-based uh, sources for that. So uh, who knows? I may uh, wind up there, but I'm certainly not anywhere near there uh, yet. Um, I had an idea while you were all uh, speaking. Um, a lot of my podcasts, um, are devoted to optimal wellness. Uh, and here in Tenafly, I'm a champion of optimal wellness uh, for our town. Tenafly is a healthy town uh, here in New Jersey. It's one of the healthiest places uh, to live in the state. And uh, we put a lot of uh, um, time and energy into keeping it as healthy as we uh, possibly uh, can. Um, so a lot of my podcasts are focused, uh, most of them are focused on bodybuilding um, which I enjoy uh, personally, uh, but uh, many of them are focused on like holistic health and uh, um, you know other types of uh, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional uh, wellness. So I would love to do a regular show uh, on uh, theurgic um, wellness. And uh, I, if uh, you guys think it's a good idea, I could. It would probably be like once a month, so I'd invite one of you a month uh, for like 20 minutes to 40 minutes uh, to share your views and practices. Uh, and I believe there's a lot of virtue in learning uh, from what different individuals are doing because I learned early on that what works for one person might not work for another. And uh, I'll I provide a. Virtue. Uh, 
this is a very good idea. Really. Okay, awesome. Um, Apollonius, what do you think? It's, a, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure how much I can contribute, but uh, uh, it certainly I, I would I would I think it's a great idea. And having Prophory in there and other ancient authors would be incredibly awesome. Tony, I know that. you bodybuild also. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd certainly be, be interested in seeing how, how a segment like that turns out. I'd like to share a little anecdote with you. A, a number of years ago, a friend of mine became Buddhist. And um, so he went on to a vegan diet and he thought he was doing okay on it. And then he wound up going for a holiday in Spain and he found himself in a sleepy little fishing town and he could not get any vegetarian food. So he was forced to eat fish. And he said after eating that fish, he felt absolutely fantastic. So when he got back to Australia, his doctor ran some blood tests. And you know, there's this, there's this theory that there are diets that suit particular blood types. Mm -hmm. So he I've had that particular blood type, which does best with animal protein. So even though he's still a practicing Buddhist, once or twice a week, he will have some animal protein. It tends to be fish. So, so long as he gets in a, a little bit of fish protein once or twice a week, he does really well being plant-based for the rest of the week. So it's kind mm -hmm. of contrary to his uh, spiritual beliefs, but it's something that he has to do. He's working in harmony with his body. So, yeah, I, I think there's... um. There's ethical considerations, but you also have to consider what is what is best for your body as well. In my case, I can do really well on a plant-based diet, and it's so much easier now than what it was when I first started in '97. There are so many options out there, but I do sneak in some eggs occasionally and some cheese. I'm not proud of that, um, but um, you know, gradually that will become less and less. Uh, well, thank you for sharing uh, that and admitting to it. Uh, I think no less of you. You're an awesome individual. <laughs> uh, and it certainly hasn't affected your spiritual uh, insights and acumen because uh, you've shared those and they're quite impressive. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, great. So I, that's something I'll schedule, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, get everybody's schedule so that we can do it occasionally. I think that would uh, add a totally different dimension to, to wellness, and it would uh, blend the spiritual uh, with uh, the physical uh, a bit more than we currently um, have it. Um, Jean-Louis, since uh, we've missed you and uh, you're back today, um, mm -hmm. is there anything else that, that you'd like to share uh, while you're here? Um, lots of things, everything. We have you another ten minutes. As I said, uh, as I said, uh, I was working a lot on uh, Eastern text and tradition and uh, yoga when I was young, and I came back to that. And uh, I am updating my uh, my memory. Uh, refreshing my memory right now, and I can compare with the Western tradition. And I am always amazed by uh, the the lack in our Western tradition and theology in particular of these first steps 
And I mean that people interested by our tradition and theology are going directly to what was considered as very advanced practice and ritual and rituals without taking the time to build the foundations. And we talked, we just talked about diets, but I am also uh, thinking about what we can call uh, what, what I call purification and moral purification. Uh, meaning if I, if I am not working on myself to know more about myself and to manage who I am on each level uh, to handle what I am doing in my life, there is almost uh, nothing to achieve after. Because you, we, I think my, my feeling today even with initiation, uh, that if you do not achieve the f these first steps and uh, not build this foundation, you can use whatever ritual you want. You will have effects, yes, because they are working, if they are properly uh, prepared, but as a way to ascend to the divine and to change your state of consciousness, mm, I am not convinced because when I see the results on people unprepared with this lack of foundation, the result is not wonderful. So they feel something, they realize something, but like you are taking a pill or, or smoking and you are getting high for a few hours and you are come back to your daily life. So I am trying to teach and to uh, this aspect that Okay, as some Eastern tradition continue to do, to do the same in the Western tradition, saying, first, work on the foundation. Second, practice rituals, and not the opposite. <laughs> this is what uh, I think uh, I want to share because I am focusing more and more on this part right now. And that's an excellent uh, point, and it's come up before. Apollonius has uh, made that point uh, repeatedly, um, as has uh, Tony. So I'm going to invite a comment from them now, uh, and we'll start with Tony this yeah. time. Tony, um, are you there? Okay, we'll go to Apollonius for the time being. Apollonius? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I certainly agree with this. I, you know, um, it's uh, and, I, and I think when we look at all of these traditions and these, this even includes uh, the Western traditions, such as the ceremonial magic tradition, that um, there was a long period of preparation uh, that um, involved many things that we know about in the records that we have, but other things that were handed down orally or that were taught from uh, master to student. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's, there's a matter of becoming adjusted to living, to, to, to having a certain amount of control and stability just as a physical human being um, that lays the foundation then for uh, these more spiritual practices. And it is, I think, uh, very characteristic of our modern Western world 
that we don't want to put in the practice. We want this uh, kind of instant gratification. And so, um, you know, we, we say, I want to skip all of this preliminary stuff that isn't very interesting and maybe is a lot of hard work and get re- straight to the, to the good stuff. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's a very common attitude in a lot yeah. of the uh, pagan and esoteric communities now. And, um, you know, we see a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the wreckage that happens, too. Sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Sometimes it's just people wasting a lot of time and becoming dissatisfied with, with what they've been doing. So, um, you know, we, we, especially, I think, in the United States, um, we, um, we instinctively react against these kind of almost authoritarian kinds of uh, spiritual orders where um, you had to go through a series of initiations and you wouldn't be initiated until you were really had demonstrated your readiness and where um, you know you you had to accept the uh, the structure that had been laid down, and um, we just we just I think most of us in the United States don't like that kind of imposed structure, uh, but um, you know it serves a purpose. I mean it's like learning to play music. You've got to practice. You've got to practice your scales. You've got to do etudes and things like that, or you're not going to become uh, a good musician. And, um, you know, there we still kind of accept that, I think, although a lot of people will not learn to play a musical instrument. They'll just uh, listen to music on the radio or something. So uh, it's a it's a it's a unfortunate characteristic that I think is common in the West and and probably especially common in the United States. I, I would agree, uh, too, because uh, a lot of times those processes, even though they're long, involve as much unlearning as they do learning. And uh, a lot of your conditioning holds you back from experiencing different things. And it takes time to see that. You can grasp it with your head, but until you've integrated it, uh, it, it it's not going to really mean anything uh, or lead to anything substantial. Tony, yeah, are you with me? Yeah, I'm I'm back. I was just having some problems with my phone. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I no, that that's okay. Um, so I I I agree with Bruce that we're living in an instant society where people want to have results immediately. So people will sign up for a weekend workshop, and at the end of the workshop, they want to have access to their higher self. They want to be able to see auras. They want to be astro. They want to astro project. They want to have everything. They're not prepared to put in the time. That the ancients would um, you know in you look at monastic communities people would shut themselves away for years in a monastery and um, so there was this tradition tradition of craftsmanship we know that the, um, the the druids would spend many many years studying their craft um, in ancient Egypt again in, in order to be trained as a magician um, you're looking at it was something like 20 years 20 years worth of worth of um, study underneath underneath masters who'd be able to, to initiate you. Um, we know that when we look at the some of the oracular sites in Greece, there's one in particular where you would require a month of preparation. It was a, a lunar month. So people would basically go underground. They'd spend time in the dark 
they would eat particular foods that were associated with the underworld gods, things like things like mollusks and the like. So they'd be in total darkness. They would hear the monks chanting, and then at the end of the month, they'd they'd be shown light. So at the end of that process, you would definitely experience something, but it took a month to get there. But one thing that's not as well known is that when this particular oracular site, and I can't remember the name of it, I'll have to look it up, um, was excavated, they actually found a bag of hashish. So what was actually happening was while people were underground, the priests were burning copious amounts of hashish. So just imagine you're in the dark, you've got hashish vapors going oh, through the place, you're eating special foods, um, you're hearing chanting, so you're in total darkness and you get shown light, you will experience something. Definitely. You can almost, you could give like a 99.99% guarantee that you will experience something at the end of the month. Um, but again, it took you a lunar month to get there. Um, people these days won't have a month to set aside. Um, if they have any annual leave, they'll, 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 they'll go off to Hawaii or somewhere for a couple of weeks. They, they want to enjoy themselves. The idea of setting aside a month or preferably even more is totally alien to them. You, you look at the, um, the, the Abramelin operation, which goes back to the 14th century. The original version in, in the McGregor Mathis translation described a six-month operation, whereas um, the, a later translation indicated it should actually be 18 months. So there aren't too many people who'd be prepared to set aside 18 months for their spiritual development. The idea of craftsmanship, putting a lot of time and effort into something has, has very much gone. We don't live in that sort of world anymore. Um, the best that we can do is because we have to be in the world is to hold down a job, earn a bit of money, and then set aside a little bit of time every day in order to work on ourselves to be the best that we can spiritually. And that actually leads to a, to a well-rounded personality, I think. I, I would agree. Things take uh, time. And in order to get there, you have to give them uh, the time. And uh, uh, there are numerous uh, examples. And uh, we will um, continue this particular topic on another day because it's uh, very important. Uh, but for now, we need to take a mid-show break. And thank Jean-Louis for uh, joining us. Uh, you're always uh, welcome, you. uh, my friend, and I wish you great success with your many endeavors. My pleasure, and we will talk again about diets. <laughs> that we will. And, of course, thank you to Apollonius and to uh, Tony. We're going to take a 10-minute break, uh, and then we'll be back to discuss theurgic activism. Um, have a great uh, day, everyone who's been listening so far, and uh, we invite you back in 10 minutes.
to the powers of earth, sea and sky, of dragon and fairy, in shades of the night, we call to our ancestors of blood and bone, of womb and tomb and standing stone. Lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Temperatures that are 
that stop them stop them from hibernating. Um, they talk about animals in the ocean dying because of ocean acidification. So he impresses upon us the the importance of addressing climate change. But the thing is that then he gives us um, a number a number of suggestions as to what we can do. Unfortunately, most of those suggestions are geared towards bodies with huge amounts of money, governments and the like. So, for instance, he talks about um, possibly setting up um, infrastructure changes, so building habitats or corridors or overpasses or buildings um, that will make things safer for animals. So overpasses are really important. So th there are so many animals which are killed on freeways. So with an overpass, they have a safe place that they can walk to get from one side of the freeway to the other without being killed. Um, but again, that's not something that we as individuals can do. But he does talk about things that we can do, and it's all about um, minimizing, you know, the, the expression that we had back home was to, was to think globally but act locally. So you look at what things that you can do to minimize your effect on the environment. So it's a matter of recycling, choosing, choosing options which would reduce the amount of waste which you produce. Um, then there's voting with your wallet, investigating various businesses and and supporting those businesses which are more ethical. So rather than supporting um, big ag, which has a horrible effect on the environment, go to, um, uh, go to farmers markets and support mom and pop farms, thing, things like that. Be very careful with how you spend your money so that you're supporting ethical businesses, businesses which, which minimize animal suffering. So if you are going to, um, to eat meat, for instance, although he does seem to be encouraging people to move towards a plant-based diet, but if you are mm -hmm. going to eat meat, you should be moving towards um, animals that have been treated well during their lives, that have, that have had a, a decent life rather than animals which have all they've known is, is misery and suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the, the whole article. He talks about how horrible it is for animals um, on, on factory farms, and then he talks about um, how rough it is for animals in, in general. They, they have to deal with, with all sorts of issues, and we're making things worse for them. Um, we're encroaching on their environment. There's, there's pollution. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things. Now there's climate change, which is, which is adding to their woes. We have poachers reducing numbers, um, people illegally hunting. Um, so he makes a very strong case for for um, the idea that we should be reducing the suffering of animals. That's sort of like a hand-waving explanation of what the article's about, but it's a great article. I, I really enjoyed reading it, and I'm very grateful to Brandy for, um, for selecting it for us as something that we could discuss. I had a good time... Uh... Uh, reading it also. Good time wouldn't be the right word, but I, I enjoyed the article. It was very comprehensive and thought-provoking. Um, yeah. She did. She gave us something uh, really great to think about and uh, talk about. Um, do you think that this is something that as theurgists, uh, we should take a more active role in 
in, in doing, protecting the animals? Um, of course. I mean, he's talking about minimizing suffering of animals. So uh, there are animal activists out there who draw attention to um, mistreatment of various animals on farms. Um, what's been happening a lot at the moment is they've been documenting that the suffering of cows, the suffering of calves in general, how bad, how badly treated they are. So obviously there are worldly things that we can do. Worldly, when I say worldly, I mean things that the average person can do as well. So signing petitions, making other people aware of what's happening, and again, making ethical choices. If you find out that one particular um, company is obtaining obtaining meat from a farm which mistreats animals, you should be boycotting that 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 particular that particular business. Um, and again, always opt if you're going to have meat, always opt for for meat that's been sourced from farms where the welfare of animals is paramount. Thank you, Apollonius. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think of this. I think on perhaps three levels. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about um, some of these environmental issues and especially issues about, well, let me let me say maybe just environmental first of all. You know, there's the physical, there's the physical aspect of it, and as um, climate changes, that's uh, certainly causing making it difficult for many species of animals, uh, plants also as the climate changes uh, have to adapt. Um, um, essentially uh, shift to new locations and um, and there's the other physical effects of of, uh, of uh, sea level rise and um, um, bushfires like there have been in California and in and in Australia and, uh, and so forth um, so that's all just kind of the purely material physical aspect of the things that it's bad for us and it's bad for most other living things as well. Uh, at least it changes things. It may be better for some and, and worse for others, but it, but it changes things, and it uh, makes it difficult for all living things to adapt. Uh, then the second level I think about is the ethical level, and this is, I think, the issue that more directly uh, is relevant to um, the uh, pain and suffering of, uh, of animals. And um, this is still, to my mind, it's somewhat independent of theurgy. I think, and we've talked some about this before at all of these three levels I'll talk about. And what they are basically is the physical level, the ethical level, and the spiritual level. I think theurgy is relevant to all of them in the sense that to do this work, to fight climate change, either from a physical perspective or an ethical perspective, uh, theurgy helps in terms of giving us direction, giving us strength, giving us protection, um, and in that in that sense, helping us to do work that is not directly spiritual. It's uh, in a sense that that ethics per se is not necessarily grounded in any particular spiritual tradition. Um, but nevertheless, theurgy can help us do those uh, really sort of more mundane types of activities. So uh, mundane in the sense of, of being not directly spiritual. 
And then at the um, spiritual level is, you know, in some sense, at the ethical level, we're viewing animals as other sentient beings. They're capable of suffering. They have a consciousness. Uh, the ethical level also, I think, treats uh, the effects of uh, climate change on other people, marginalized uh, people, people in third world countries especially, uh, suffer from the effects of climate change worse than we do in, in a, the industrialized world. Um, so I, I think that, that it can help in those respects. But I think, you know, that's that's what everybody should be doing is working on those levels. I think what theurgy gives us especially then is a connection at the spiritual level as well. And I think one of the really things that's missing in a lot of the environmental movements, um, not entirely, but, but in a lot of it, is that we're still viewing the environment as a resource, whether it's animals or plants or minerals. We're viewing it as, as a resource, and we're worried about the fact that there's going to be less of it or it's going to change in undesirable ways. And that's going to be bad for us, especially economically. And the economic arguments, I think, are important to make. But um, I think a lot of the problem is that nature has been desacralized. Uh, it's been uh, unenchanted, as, as some people say. And so I think, you know, that one thing we can do as theurgists is to try and sort of reawaken um, the spiritual connection to nature, to, to understand that it really is a living um, spiritual being, all of the different aspects of nature, because then that gives people, uh, more people, I should say, not everyone, obviously, but it gives more people a real feeling of reverence for nature. And they won't make these uh, decisions solely on an economic or a physical comfort or even strictly an ethical basis. It'll, it'll, it'll be um, uh, just more respect for our uh, spiritual role within the natural world. And I think that that's a part that, you know, certainly not in all quarters, but in many quarters, uh, because of the desire to appeal to a very wide class of people that might not share your one spiritual view of nature, we tend to say, okay, yeah, but it's bad economics, you know, or it's going to hurt us all in the long run. We're going to have to move our cities or, you know, uh, we won't be able to, uh, you know, run our cars around or eat so much beef or whatever it might be. And because that's an argument we think we can use with everybody, but I think it leaves out an important part of, uh, of you know, the, the respect we've lost for nature over the past several hundred years, you know, arguably starting maybe in the 17th century, we've really lost the notion that nature is, is sacred. So that's one aspect in which I think perhaps theurgy can um, um, contribute a special kind of, uh, of, uh, of uh, aspect to this, uh, to this whole problem. Thank you. That, that was very well thought out. Um, and uh, um, you got the gears in my head uh, turning uh, in terms of with uh, the resources at hand, what can we possibly do as a theurgist uh, to uh, pretty much reverse the tide, you know, to stem the problems and uh, 
forestall uh, where this seems to be uh, heading. And I really got a lot out of that uh, article. And uh, it opened my eyes to certain aspects that you know, I, I hadn't thought of or I'd thought of, but they didn't really connect uh, as well in my mind. And after reading that article, they connected uh, much uh, better um, in terms of things that uh, we can do. So we have podcasts. So we have a voice. These podcasts uh, can be accessed uh, globally by anybody with a computer uh, with an Alexa or Siri, uh, and with a bunch of other devices uh, by telephones. So we, we potentially have a planet that we can reach uh, through uh, podcasts. Um, how can we develop a theurgic voice that addresses uh, the challenge before us? Um, I think that we're looking at a multi-level approach that's required. The first level is the purely mundane level. Um, one thing that Bruce raised was, was really important. He pointed out that animals are, um, they're thought of as commodities. So for instance, um, when, the, when, the, when the meat industry talks, talks about raising cows, they talk about meat production. So you're thinking of these little plastic trays in the supermarket that, that meat is on. You don't think in terms of a sentient animal. Um, but the thing is, the internet is actually a wonderful ally as it's giving, showing people just how, how animals are capable of showing emotions to as great an extent as we are. And um, I, was, I was actually looking at an article not too long ago. There was a study done at Sydney University that shows that cows communicate with each other. Cows are, are, more than, are more than capable of communicating with each other. They're not just dumb animals. They communicate. Um, they feel pain. Um, the, the mothers feel pain when, when their calves are taken away from them for milk production. Um, they feel fear. There are cases of cows <clears throat> escaping from um, when they're about to be um, sold off to, to, to slaughterhouses. Um, there was one case of a cow that, that joined a herd of deer. Another cow joined a herd of bison. Just goes to show that animals are more than capable of helping each other out in times of need. That actually came out in a huge way during the, the bushfires in Australia. There yeah. was an article about wombats. Um, wombats yes. have this huge network of, of tunnels in their burrows. It's not just a small burrow we're talking this huge network and they're more than happy for other animals to come in to escape the fires there are animals that, that comfort each other there are little stories that you see about you know there was some person who had a i think it was a golden retriever or some sort of dog and the dog came back with a koala clinging to its pack you know animals mind you that that's a case of a domesticated animal but but there are numerous cases of, of wild animals Look, looking out for each other, um, helping each other out in times of need. And there is no greater time of need than, than when you have huge forest fires. And the other thing which really stood out to me was you had animals like, like kangaroos and koalas going up to people. Their natural instinct is to keep away from people, but it's a time of need. They go to them for, for, for help. They go to them for water, for medical aid, everything else. They, they know that the situation is desperate. So I think because there's so much information available out there on the Internet, it's a matter of making that information available, 
but that's something that everyone can do. But we have an additional capability that, that ordinary people don't have. We can call in the aid, the aid of the gods. So, so obviously, gods like like Artemis, um, a goddess like Artemis, I should say, is incredibly important. She rules over wild animals, um, usually usually larger wild animals. For smaller wild animals, you'd be calling on Pan. Um, for looking after agriculture in general, Demeter. Um, so those are the specific gods that I would be targeting. Um, Hermes was actually called on by shepherds. So if you wanted to work with specific gods, those are the, probably the four who I would call on. Obviously, be calling on Zeus as well to, to bring down water as well. Actually, the more I think about it, the the more gods seem to enter in the equation. So Bruce's idea a few, a few weeks ago of actually calling on the 12 gods makes so much sense because every god is capable of bringing something to the table. So I think that the easiest way for us to get the message out is to just keep sharing information that's available on social media. Everyone spends ages on their cell phones downloading information, just making sure that there's good information out there for them. And helping that information along by, by, by calling on the gods. And, of course, when it comes to communication, um, Hermes is, is the ultimate god to call on. I mean, after all, he's the god of this age. He's a god of communication, of travel. And at no stage in history has, have we been able to, to travel as far and fast as, we've been, as we're able to now and also to communicate with everyone. The Internet's brought almost the entire planet together. So it's so, all under the domain of science. What you're suggesting is that we disseminate uh, information by linking to articles that demonstrate that animals are sentient uh, beings uh, and also perform rituals to the appropriate uh, Olympians, uh, granted that all the Olympians are appropriate, uh, and uh, um, share this uh, activity with other people. Am I understanding correctly? Yes. And on top of that, I'd also be encouraging discussion sessions like this, where you get people together of like mind, where people can share ideas, um, share their concerns, and get the word out. Because when people listen to a podcast like this one, hopefully they're sitting there thinking, wow, these guys are making some really good points. Um, we should really be investigating this ourselves. And the more people that climb on board, the better. Um, Apollonius, what do you uh, think? I certainly agree with that. And, um, you know, I think we can um, also put together some simple uh, rituals that people can do to call on uh, the gods that Tony mentioned and, and others as well. Um, to, uh, you know, people will, will may have their own traditions for doing this. And, and in fact, their, their own gods, if they're uh, working in a different pantheon and, um, but never for those that don't, or that, that, uh, would prefer to work with something that somebody else has developed. I think we can put those things out and make them available. And I think that's, uh, that's very helpful because again, it, 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 it calls on the gods for aid, uh, both, to address the situation itself, uh, to protect the animals or the environment from those uh, those people that would be might be harming it, 
uh, and also to uh, put better ideas uh, into the various decision makers that have that that can influence these these matters at a large scale. Um, as as you were saying, that some of these things uh, are not things we can particularly do as individuals. It takes the um, the force of corporations or the government to be able to to pull them off. But we can uh, we can uh, help uh, change these people's minds. Um, the other thing I would I would suggest is, you know, in terms of of becoming more aware of the um, sacred nature. Uh, or the sacred aspect of, of nature itself um, is if we can get more people to essentially do simple kinds of theurgy that put them into spiritual contact with the nature. So, you know, they can really feel the the, the life and the sentience of, of trees and plants and all of the wild animals and, and the rivers and the mountains. Um, they, um, you know, again, that will give them extra, extra uh, motivation to uh, to work for environmental uh, uh, ends and, and protection. So, you know, people do this, of course. You know, they go into nature and uh, they have a spiritual experience, but um, it may be somewhat unconscious and unintentional. And I think. You know, with the technology of theurgy, we can perhaps make suggestions that will help people to have help people have these experiences. You know, even if they're not particularly following any spiritual tradition uh, and may not think of themselves as spiritual at all, um, I think we can we can present some of these practices in a way that nevertheless will have the effect of making bringing them into contact with the with the spiritual dimension of the world. And then I think they will become more committed to uh, doing the right thing with regard to the environment. Um, so I, I think we have to work on all of these different different um, uh, levels at the same time. And of course, the other thing that theurgy can do for us is that we can go to the gods and we can get suggestions and advice on how we each individually can do what uh, is is best find out how we individually can contribute in the best possible way, and I think um, you know that all of us that practice theurgy should be doing that as uh, as 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 just uh, getting more effective guidance in our own personal lives. Brandy had suggested uh, putting together a web page. Uh, until we do that, I guess we could start a Facebook group. That might be a good place uh, to start. And uh, this will get at least start uh, organizing the information and, and growing a community uh, for awareness. I'm going to share something with both of you. This is pretty much what I've been doing my entire life uh, on and off uh, in cycles. Uh, and uh, this is how I'm uh, personally responding to what's going on. Um, I've been part of what I feel I'm here for is to inspire people and bring in a new age of heroes. And uh, one of the things that I've been focusing on for the past few years is uh, the environment and animals. And uh, I've been finding people who devoted their life to that. And uh, I've been proclaiming them champions of Arcadia. And Arcadia is, of course, uh, you know, the wild. 
and uh, the green uh, with uh, the plants and the animals uh, in it. So this is how I uh, have presented it. Within us all is a unique greatness. All of us were granted divine gifts at birth, and a grand destiny lies ahead for anyone willing to follow their unique path. The path of victim, the age of the victim is finally over, and the age of heroes has dawned. The way of the hero posits that one must utilize one's individual strengths to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are their lives not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Our Age of Heroes initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds over the years, directing it towards improving the collective quality of human life. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, interfaith, and interfaith participation. As with the Argonaut expedition of old, the children of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with exceptional people to face great challenges and accomplish something that would benefit us all. And uh, the one that's focused on the environment and animals is, as I said, Champions of Arcadia. And what I've been doing is I've been uh, giving these Champions of Arcadia a voice and drawing attention to the wonderful work that they're doing. And uh, also because of my involvement with my community, I'm very aware through uh, meetings um, what is going on in terms of what is my community trying to do about the green and about animals and so forth. And I've been working uh, closely with uh, uh, politicians who are dedicated to that. And again, giving their efforts uh, uh, a spotlight and also a voice so that people know about it. And I've been um, drawing a lot of attention to this and talking to people and going to demonstrations and showing up at meetings to add my voice to, to the other voices. Um, and I'd like people to be aware that there are people on all levels, whether as individuals or organized that are trying to do something about this, but they're all trying to do it uh, kind of like independent of each other. And a lot of this doesn't get coverage. So I'm trying to provide in my own small way uh, coverage to it. So um, I invite, uh, I guess, both of you, the audience, uh, uh, anybody who wants to participate in this initiative through this vehicle, uh, they're welcome to uh, join, and I will focus on what they're doing as well. And I'd like to develop a uh, um, theurgic activism informational site initially uh, so that we can provide people with uh, the information that uh, you've suggested because it's excellent uh, for people to feel the sacredness of nature uh, and to commune with the divine uh, so that uh, their efforts uh, can be uh, wise and uh, you know effective as well as well-intentioned uh, and that uh, people should have an awareness that animals are not products. So um, how can we start? Let's. Uh, there's no time like the present. How can we start organizing what you've suggested? Well, I think uh, um, you know the. You mentioned a Facebook page, and that might be the uh, certainly one of the one of the easiest ways to to get something up and going. A Facebook group, rather, um, uh, because uh, it's got the it's got the outreach. 
and it's uh, it's pretty easy to set up. I'm a, I'm a little afraid a web page just gets lost nowadays. Okay. And okay, so a Facebook page, uh, Tony. What do you feel about a Facebook page or group? Um, I think a Facebook page is is an excellent idea. Um, it's very easy to direct people from other parts of Facebook onto this particular Facebook page, and once people start going onto a Facebook page, it takes up in people's feed. Um, it's like Bruce said, websites can can sometimes disappear. Um, I I think that with the rituals that we're going to upload, they should be suggestions for, for a couple of reasons. One is that while we're happy to practice theurgy, other people will be possibly happier to practice some other spiritual modality. So, for instance, there might be Wiccans coming on and you know, they want to cast a circle and call the quarters and, and, and do everything else. So, lo- so, long, as, so long as they're contributing... Um, it, it's, it's all good. Everything's going to work out well. On top of that, we tend to focus on the Greek gods, but other people may feel more comfortable working with either Roman gods or, or, or the, the Norse pantheon or even some, even some of the Orishas. And again, so long as we're all working for the same aim, then it's going to make a bit of a difference. And I think there are a lot of people who may have the impression that their contribution is going to be very small, so it's hardly worth doing. Um, my response to that is that every little contribution counts. If you have enough people making a tiny little contribution, it may be just a little drop in a bucket. By the end of it, you're going to have an ocean. I agree. Um, so it's, so it, it's a matter of people just getting involved, getting their feet wet, if you'll pardon the pun, seeing we're talking about oceans and buckets of water and all that, and just and just cut, just coming on board. And the thing is, everyone has a, a little contribution to make. Um, everyone is, is more than capable of coming up with ideas, things that we, we may not have thought of. That's one of the things that I, I love about this particular forum that you put on for us. We have a meeting of minds. We all come up with different ideas. And I love it when I walk away with something hey, I never would have thought of that. It, it's beautiful when like minds come together. People people all aiming in the same direction. So I, I think you've started something very, very important here. We started something very important here. We're doing this together. You, you, this were, doing doing before before here, <laughs> you were doing it before I got here, You were doing it before I got here. So I'm, I'm just along for the ride, but it's it's been all you. Well, I, I would argue that. I think it's all us because uh, there's a meeting of minds. I have a mind, but uh, yes. so do you. And uh, through the interaction between these minds, all this great stuff is uh, uh, coming out. Uh, and I can't wait to hear Brandy's uh, uh, insights and uh, suggestions as well because uh, uh, th- we need to address this now. Uh, even though it's raining in certain spots and some of the fires are going out, uh, I was looking at NASA, like, satellite things uh, last week, and it looked like our planet was on fire. It was scary. So it, it was an even greater shock and wake-up uh, call. And uh, um, we're, we're worried about so many meaningless things, and we're killing each other and torturing each other over things that um, ultimately and eventually have no meaning or value. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we need air to breathe. We need water to drink. We need uh, uncontaminated food and uh, soil. Um, we, we need these basic things, you know, the elements uh, and life. Uh, and I really feel that uh, this is uh, pushing us towards realizing that again and uh, focusing on it. Because Greek mythology, since we're uh, resonant with the Olympian pantheon, uh, shows what happens when Gaia <laughs> um, is uh, um, disrespected. And uh, mm. the Atlantis myth is a reminder. So uh, um, it, it's basically we need to take action. Otherwise, the Earth will take action. And we're not going to like the result. No. Well, and I think also the Atlantis myth is also worthwhile from another perspective, too, because it really shows the uh, uh, the results of hubris. And uh, yes. if there's one thing that I think characterizes our uh, culture, it's hubris. Yes. I'm, I'm very amazed by things that are happening. I never thought uh, I would see or hear uh, the things that are happening routinely in our here and now. Um, and uh, again, I refuse to be victimized by it. Something has to be done. And uh, whatever we do, as Tony said, might not seem like a lot, but cumulatively, if enough people uh, even take steps to improve their own life and that of their loved ones and their communities and start following these rules, uh, I, I believe that we can make a difference. Now, um, Christine Evron, she's the president of our Chamber of Commerce, and she's a champion of Arcadia. Uh, she started a Greenway project that would reclaim uh, miles and miles of railroad track through several boroughs here in Bergen County and turn it into green uh, space where people can enjoy uh, nature. Uh, and she's been coming on um, periodically. Her schedule is very uh, busy and sharing tips, small things that people can do uh, to, you know, minimize uh, um, their impact on the environment. As uh, Bruce, as, uh, I'm sorry, Apollonius was suggesting. Uh, so I'm going to have her continue that. And uh, several other uh, guests have been sharing um, information that they found very useful. Uh, people who are in California where the fires uh, seem to be uh, never-ending. Uh, so I'm going to try to find a way of linking to all this information from the group. Or once I learned how to do some simple editing, which is coming in the very near future, um, I'll be able to take that information and put it like in separate sound bites or segments. Uh, so I'll have access to the collective wisdom of years of these podcasts. Uh, so um, uh, that's not something I can accomplish in a very short period of time, but it's definitely on my list of things uh, to do uh, so that we can have all these voices be focused on the topic and uh, we can learn from everybody's efforts. Well, I think this idea of champions of Arcadia is, is really nice too, because it does, you know, um, acknowledge the contributions that people have made and are making and, um, you know, that encourages other people to do it, too. So I think that's uh, that's just very, very, very valuable because, you know, so often on these issues, people get burned out or they think they're not appreciated or they're making so little progress that it's not worth the effort. 
and I think um, you know we all need to to support each other and uh, to 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 keep ourselves going this way. So I think that's a really that's a really great idea. Thank you. Uh, one of the champions of Arcadia, um, she has uh, radio shows where she plays nature-themed music and asks for people to pray uh, for Australia, uh, for California, for South America, for everywhere that these fires are going on or anything else that uh, um, you know, impacts uh, the environment or shows uh, the suffering that's going on. Uh, so it might not seem like much, but that's that's a lot, you know. So that's one of the reasons why I've been focusing on her efforts as well, because uh, you can believe it's true. That's a thankless uh, type of uh, um, uh, activity that most people aren't even aware that she's doing, except for the people who listen to her show. Uh, but she's doing that consistently. She's devoting time and energy. Uh, she's a uh, Christian. Uh, so she approaches it from that, uh, you know, particular spirituality. Uh, but uh, she does this uh, religiously, <laughs> and uh, I, I believe that it, it does make an impact. Uh, and even if one or two people listen to the show and 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 pray, uh, it's spread beyond her to these other people as well. And uh, uh, so the, a champion of Arcadia need not be someone who's doing things like Christine Evron on a uh, you know, on a countywide uh, scale, it, it could be anyone who's decided to devote themselves to this and to do what they can uh, to move it forward. And the reason I'm bringing yeah, this up, fabulous. the reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, I'm charging you both as theurgists as we progress on this uh, particular um, endeavor is if you find people who you feel are going above and beyond, let's make them tra- champions of Arcadia. Let's focus on their uh, activities and accomplishments. And, and, and like you said, Apollonius, that'll encourage other people. You know, one of the things that the Australian bushfires have done is that they've instilled a sense of compassion worldwide. There are huge numbers of people who are donating money to help fight the bushfires. There are people knitting mittens and things to help um, koalas in, in their rehabilitation. The fires have been absolutely horrific. You know that there are rainforest areas that have been wet permanently for tens of millions of years, and they are on fire for the first time. Because what normally happens is there's a bushfire. The bushfire approaches this rainforest area and it just burns out. It's too wet. But because it's been so dry due to man-made climate change, these rainforests are now burning for the first time ever. So, you know, we're not talking about some sort of small cycle. We're talking about just the idea of something burning for the first time in tens of millions of years just is absolutely staggering. And much the yeah. same thing is happening in, in Siberia. There are areas that have been frozen over, areas of, areas of ancient vegetation. But the thing is, as the ice has melted, it's created this, it's given rise to this fuel source. So there are areas that are burning for the first time in Siberia as well. And it, it's all to do with climate change. So these are areas that have been frozen since the last ice age. We... The, the, we changed the earth so very much yeah. in, in, the, in the last few decades. 
1950, the carbon dioxide levels were at a level greater than they ever had been in, in millions of years. And since then, it's been going up at an, expon at, at an exponential rate. So I think everyone who was aware of that statistic would have known that something was going to happen because we we're in uncharted territory and it is happening. And for me, one of the scariest things is, is that we're not all in this together. The people who are profiting from this, the ultra-wealthy, because it's, it's um, fossil fuels and the like that are, tr that are triggering um, climate change, are actually, they're setting up bunkers for themselves. So, and they're investigating what areas would be safer, whether, whether it be um, Alaska, whether it would be um, New Zealand, and the sort of questions that are being asked by the ultra-wealthy um, are incredibly telling. They know that there's a good chance if the, if the collapse is bad enough, the monetary system will fall apart. So normally people invest in precious metals in times of crisis. But if there's no food, if there's no water, no one's going to be interested in precious metals. The only right. thing that's going to matter is um, food, water, and shelter. So you've got these ultra-wealthy people who are building bunkers for themselves. They're having um, a private army to look after themselves, and then they have to make sure that that private army will remain loyal to them once, once the apocalypse comes. So I, I've read of them investigating the possibility of giving them disciplinary collars. You know, things that you see in science fiction movies where you know, they can be zapped if they step out of line. Um, they're also thinking in terms of having these huge safes that have food in them and water, and only they know the combination. So basically, these guards have to be loyal to them. We're, t we're talking about a total disruption of, of order. This is an absolute worst-case scenario. But the point is, we're not in this together, because the ultra-wealthy will be able to survive climate change. They'll be able to go underground for a year or two, wait until things blow over, then come back out. So it's going to be the remainder of us who are going to have to face incredible droughts, incredible rising sea levels, um, extinction of, of many of the species on the planet. Um, things are going to get very, very bad unless we reduce our carbon footprints. And I, I know that sounds really dramatic, but there are people who are taking this seriously. You know, I've read about ultra-wealthy people buying up tracts of land in the middle of the United States because they're going to be protected from rising sea levels. They're taking it all very seriously. And meanwhile, you've got so many people denying that it's, that it's taking place. But the ones who have money are taking steps to look after themselves. I've heard those things as well. Uh, we have a few Disclosure Network uh, shows on the podcast. Uh, where people from yeah. the disclosure network, uh, you know, share information and those type of topics, uh, you know, have uh, come up and uh, um, looking through uh, YouTube to follow up. I've come across this. Hello, I can't hear anything. Uh, I'm here, <laughs> Tony. Okay. 
we lost Hercules, I think. I I actually thought I dropped out, but it was Hercules. Well, at least we're both on. So you want to share your thoughts while he's gone? Well, I think you know I, he the 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 point about these um, you know these ultra rich people I think is very well taken and I mean we have aside from from these new uh, revelations we know that the oil companies you know identified um, climate change and the CO two levels as a problem decades ago uh, so that they could do their own planning for it but uh, kept it secret from, from everybody else. So um, I think we've got, you know, ample evidence that, that um, the people that are saying it doesn't exist are many of them are exactly the people that believe it and are also preparing for it. So uh, that's a, that's a, another really serious problem in, 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 in our, uh, in our times now is that the, the government is not working uh, for all the people, you know, it's working for the, for the, the ones that have the money. Absolutely. And um, that is something we should do something about also. Um, currently, I've been trying in my small way to um, uh, spread information about the voting and uh, um, where people can go to register to vote, uh, to draw information to the fact that there's uh, all sorts of uh, people trying to restrict uh, voting um, and uh, gerrymandering and, uh, you know, these type of uh, challenges that exist in different communities um, and uh, put, getting that information out there consistently well. And here in my uh, community, working for the uh, polls and, you know, therefore being there with the voters, I try to, you know, um, give positive reinforcement. People actually got out uh, to vote. Um, and fortunately, the voting has been increasing uh, here locally uh, slowly over time, more people are uh, getting out and expressing themselves uh, through their vote. And also, how do you educate yourself? How do you know how your legislators are voting? What do you do if you're not happy with how your legislators are voting? Getting that information out there uh, as well, uh, because it, it it is very important uh, that uh, we do something. And if the people who are in uh, power in our particular system at this time are doing these things, they shouldn't be in power. I absolutely agree. This, you know, this these are mundane things. They're they're kind of um, a little bit uninteresting compared to theurgy, but but they're absolutely essential if we want to, uh, you know, we want to uh, live a good life and and have the time and resources available to do theurgy. So, you know, yes, get educated and and vote. I think are two of the really critical things, and project and and help other people to do the same, to get educated and to vote. So we have our task cut out uh, for us. I will start uh, tonight by creating a theurgic activism group. Uh, is that a good name for it? We could always change it later on. Or does someone have a different name they'd like to suggest? Can you change it? I think Facebook sure, I, I, in, I, I, I routinely change my group names to be, you know, to I, tie in better. I, I, <laughs> You're restricted to once a month. After the first few days, you you, you could change it a few times, but after that, you have to wait a month uh, before changing it again. Okay. 
Well, I think that's a good name. That's certainly been our theme for um, many of our discussions. So at least for a, for a start, that seems like a good name to me. Okay. And I, as soon as you respond, I'll, I'll find out from my wife how to make you moderators. So I'll make uh, uh, our Theurgy Forum folks uh, moderators, and this way they can you know, make changes whenever they uh, feel the need to or add things to the, um, to the documents and so forth. Um, my only concern with having the term theurgy in the title is it may restrict membership. People may think, well, I'm not a theurgist, I'm a Wiccan, or I'm this or I'm that. So we want to make it, we want to make it obvious that we welcome everyone. We, oh, we, we can make that on, we, like can, we can say it on a page. We can make it a public page, so, and all are welcome. We can put all are welcome to join in the description. I think so, something like that is, is, is very, very important because we don't want to limit it to, to just people on our path. We, we want to have everyone coming in. The more people that come in, the, the better, the more powerful the group's going to be. We'll, we'll all be learning from each other. Yes, we will. And we have a couple of minutes, so if uh, each of you can briefly let folks know how they can enter your world, uh, and uh, we will start with Apollonius. Well, the best way probably to uh, get in touch with my work and get in touch with me is um, uh, either of my two websites. The first is opsopaeus.com, and that's O-P-S-O-P-A-U-S dot com. And the uh, second website is wisdomofhypatia.com. Wisdom of Hypatia is all one word, and Hypatia is H-Y-P-A-T-I-A. And those are the best ways to get a hold of me right now. Thank you very much, Tony. Probably the easiest way to to get in contact with me is through Facebook. I have a personal page and I also have an author page. The author page is purely stuff that's going to be connected with my writing and things that are of interest to people who are on a similar path to mine. The the personal page, you know, I, I sort of go off on little tangents here and there. But um, either one of those pages, probably preferably the, the author page would be best. Okay, very awesome. And when we do the group, we'll link to those uh, pages as well. Um, thank you very much, gentlemen. This was awesome. And uh, I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Yes, me too. Fabulous as usual. Thank you. Me too. And, it, was, it was wonderful having Jean-Louis back, and I look forward to having Brandy back yes. as well. Absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, yeah. And thanks to those at home who joined us uh, tonight. And until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.